Welcome into the podcast. I'm Griffin Epstein alongside Jack Ankeny. Griffin Gonzalez is on assignment this week, so that means that no one will say my name wrong. So that's all good news for me. And we're also going to have a special guest on later on on the podcast, Eric Bach, the play-by-play voice of Michigan State football for WBM Sports, will join us in a little bit to preview Indiana's matchup against the Spartans. But before that, well, we have to talk about what was a historic victory for Indiana over Michigan. Jack, it was certainly a day that uh, Hoosier fans will not soon forget the first victory over the Wolverines since 1988, a streak of 24 games broken. And, and it wasn't that Indiana just beat them like they did against Penn State, snuck out a victory. Uh, it was a dominant victory as well, a statement. Right. I was talking about this with, uh, with Connor Hines after the game, and we were saying how, you know, I don't really like to use the word dominate a lot, but um, I think that's exactly what it was. And, and, I mean, I picked Michigan to win, so I was very wrong about that one. Um, but, I mean, just throughout the game, I was thinking, you know, like what would this have been like with a full stadium with, with, uh, with no COVID? I think it would have been insane in Bloomington. Um, I think we saw by far the best game for Penix this season, if not um, uh, as in his career as a Hoosier. Um, I thought the offense was looking great. You know, Sheridan looked like he, his play calling was really, was really uh, meshing well with the rest of the offense. So, yeah, I mean, dominant game, like you said. Yeah, it was start to finish, too, for Indiana. And you just felt like for the program, you know, they're continuing to accomplish things that haven't been done since the Bill Mallory era and so many records broken going back to 87, 88, 89, really the height of Bill Mallory and the last time Indiana football had been anywhere near this level of the victory over Michigan now that they're highest ranking at 10 actually since 1969, which is the era about 20 years before that, around when Indiana went to the Rose Bowl in 1967. Um, But the last time Indiana beat Michigan was during that Bill Mallory era. And as much as Tom Allen said during the week leading up to the game, you know, it's just history. We're not worried about it. It's just another opponent. It was very obvious with his reaction, you know, on that, especially on that Devin Matthews, a game ceiling interception that, you know, people across the country saw um, giving him a big bear hog and falling over. It seemed very clear to me that this meant a lot more to the program and considering the way students, fans, and the community reacted after the game, it was more than just, you know, a victory over a top 25 team. Well, right. You know, even going back to last year, I mean, Tom Allen called last year's win over Nebraska kind of the breakthrough and I mean, I think when you look back at that now, it's kind of like funny to think that he would use that word for a Nebraska win. And then even with the Penn State uh, win week one, you know, the offense didn't play amazing. You know, they, Penn State's obviously really struggling. They're 0-3 now. So you didn't quite feel like that confirmation of, of the program, you know, like they're there. But I, I think this win um, really kind of solidified that and, I think you've seen it the way that Tom Allen has been talking uh, in the press conferences, just the, the confidence that the team is exuding. And I, I, I think uh, that that really means a ton for, for Tom Allen and this program. One thing I brought up on a, on a different podcast earlier this week and kind of to your point about, you know, Penn state's now and three and they, they don't look very good. I mean, they got yeah. absolutely massacred by Maryland, which no one saw coming on Saturday uh, you know, Michigan's now one and two now out of the top 25. 
is maybe Indiana. Obviously, they're a very talented team, but are maybe they getting too much credit just because, you know, you look at two of the teams that they've beaten both, you know, normally Big Ten powerhouses, but both looking like they're having awful seasons. Right. I think that's a very fair question, and I think that's one that is going to kind of be answered as the season goes on. I think it's kind of too early to say, you know, Penn State is a terrible team. Obviously, they're they're not to the level that they have been really probably in the last five or so years. Um, I think also Michigan, this is probably one of the worst teams they've had recently. But I think just the fact that one thing that really stood out to me in the Michigan game was was just how Indiana controlled the line of scrimmage, especially on the offense. You know, Michigan's got those two guys in Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson, who a lot of people think could be first or second round picks next year. And you saw Indiana get, uh, not allow a sack in that game. So I think when you kind of look at the roots of this team, being able to control the line of scrimmage against Michigan is not something that is common at all in this program, not even against Michigan, but against teams like Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State, some of those top tier Big Ten teams on a year-to-year basis. And I think that really shows that, that Indiana, you know, they're building something that is sustainable because in the Big Ten, if you can't run the ball or if you can't stop the run, you're going to lose a lot of games that you play. Wanted to talk a little bit more about the offense, and there was, you know, no doubt who the star was on Saturday, but it was a career day for Michael Penix. 30 of 50, uh, you know, threw the ball 50 times. You don't see that too much. That was a career high in terms of passing attempts, but he also had a career high in terms of yards. 342 yards, three touchdowns, didn't throw a pick, didn't get sacked, as you said. It, it felt like he really couldn't do anything wrong. I mean, it was it was a really impressive performance and I think it was you know what had made IU fans I guess so so excited about this team because of what the redshirt sophomore quarterback did yeah I mean and Penix was kind of I think the story especially just with that crazy first half he had Um, I think Stevie Scott's really developing I mean he's kind of been this the last two years but he seems like every game he's going to go out and give you 20 carries at least 80 yards and a touchdown you know seems like he's that guy that it's not as much of a matchup thing as it maybe would have been in his freshman year. It seems like he's a guy that's really growing into a a strong role. I think Samson James, you know, he had another, I mean, eight carries, 25 yards. It's nothing special, but he's working in really as a nice relief for Stevie Scott when Indiana goes on some of those longer runs or longer drives, excuse me, like they did against Michigan to kind of just add more depth to that um, to, to kind of, you know, take, take some weight off Stevie Scott. I guess the one thing, and you can argue we're nitpicking just because it was such an impressive effort by Indiana, especially offensively, what they did. I mean, they made a, a Michigan defense that going into the season people thought was very good. Uh, looked pretty silly, putting up 28 points in the first half, 38 in total, uh, and over 400 yards. But the one, the one problem I did have at times, I think, was the play calling by Nick Sheridan. You mentioned the running. I think – for Indiana when they're going to face Ohio State in two weeks and when they're going to face Wisconsin, hopefully face Wisconsin, assuming the Badgers are, are fully recovered. And that, I think that's a good defense too, is the Hoosiers need to have more balance. And they threw the ball 50 times. They ran the ball just 38 times. And there was, I mean, the one notable possession I remember in the, in the second half, I think it was late third quarter, Michigan had scored uh, to make it a 10-point game, you could feel the momentum was starting to shift. The the 400 or so Michigan fans and family in the stadium were making some noise. And Nick Sheridan had Michael Penix throw three deep balls, all incomplete. 
and it was just very clear it was not good play calling. And I don't know. I mean, I feel like both Steve's kind of Samson James have been really good this season. And people say, well, you look at the stats, they haven't been good. But, you know, I mean, both of us, Jack, have watched all of these games. I think especially Samson James, um, he has been powerful, but he's also broken off on some big runs. Yeah. Not big runs, but, you know, he's broken off four or five run, four or five yard runs, which is good. You don't, you know, I think at times this year, Scott's had one, two yarders. And people say, well, that's not good enough when, you know, Penix can throw the ball downfield. But I think um, that ability to get four or five yards is going to set up that passing game more. And when you're going to face better defenses, I think it's going to lead to more balance. So I, I, I've said that about Nick Sheridan all three games. I think he did a better job of incorporating it. But there was, especially sometimes in the second half where I thought they could have looked to the run game a little bit more, especially in that third quarter where um, things got tight. And, you know, if the defense didn't bail them out late, you could you could have wondered how that fourth quarter could have gone. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, I remember the possession that you're talking about where it was those three straight incompletions. That was definitely one, you know, where you just thought, I mean, run the ball at least one time, get some of that clock running. Um, I think maybe part of it, you know, Sheridan's a first-year first offensive coordinator. In the first half, they were getting really anything they wanted through the air. So, you know, maybe he was just thinking, like, we want to put these guys away, something like that, which I understand. You know, you're playing a big team like Michigan when you have the chance to to put them away and and if you can get what you want through the air I think um, that's something that Sheridan's going to take but like you said I think as Sheridan gets more experience you know calling plays he'll recognize um, that in the second half you know you can't have three and out possessions where it's three straight incomplete passes when you have a lead and you have Stevie Scott and Samson James who have also uh, you know been playing well for most of that game so you know I see what you're saying I think it's nitpicking a little bit but I think we'll see Sheridan kind of grow into that role. And the one other, you know, aspect of the game I wanted to talk about, and one specific player in particular, was Ty Freifogel. I mean, I just thought he was absolutely spectacular for Indiana. Seven catches, 142 yards, one touchdown, a career high for him in terms of yards. And he's developed so much as a player and was talking to him today earlier on the presser uh, and to Coach Sheridan yesterday. And the, they both, I mean, they both talked about how he has worked really hard uh, to become, you know, a much really become a star a player that I think can play in the NFL from a player that was recruited as a low three star from rural Mississippi uh, and not something that many other programs had their eyes on. Uh, and just his athleticism. I mean, obviously, his one handed catch in the first quarter, uh, but he was he had a, a nice touchdown catch. Uh, he had speed and against Michigan corners that at least were, you know, supposed to maybe be all right I mean he, he just this Michigan secondary has been getting blitzed on national social media um, and national media all week long uh, for really for the second straight week and, and maybe they're not as good as we thought um, but you know Phil is going to get all the attention and he's going to get the top cornerback but I feel like the ability to have that second guy uh, to me that that was huge for Penix uh, to really get in a rhythm in that first half. Right I mean I think just watching Indiana the last couple seasons it seems like Freifogel has just been a guy that, you know, he's, he's been out there a lot. He's a, a, he's a nice red zone target, but really against Michigan, that was the first game where I felt like I was like, wow, like this guy's got a lot of skill. He's a talented receiver. You know, seven catches, 142 yards and a touchdown is pretty legit um, for a guy that, you know, he's had good games as a Hoosier, but that was uh, a game particularly that I thought, um, you know, really stood out to me as, you know, that he's not just another receiver out there playing. And, um, you know, just staying on this offense, I think uh, 
He's a guy that everyone knows, but I think Peyton Hendershot has really helped um, Michael Penix kind of settle in and find the rhythm because you have WAP and, and Ty and guys like Miles Marshall that you're going to take deeper shots with. But I think, you know, Peyton Hendershot, especially in the end zone or red zone, excuse me, we, we saw him get a, an easy touchdown against Michigan. I think he's really uh, important for Penix. I mean, you know, just settling down because we've seen a couple games this year especially against Penn State and Rutgers where, you know, he's a, Penix is a little bit excited at the start. He's missing some throws. Um, but I think Hendershot really, uh, you know, helps him kind of find his rhythm and settle down. And to that point, uh, Jack, you know, the one of what I did think that Nick Sheridan did a really good job with in terms of play calling was he knew that, Mi that Michigan was going to apply a lot of pressure. And they have Quiddy Pitt and they had Aiden Hutchinson, two of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. And the offensive line stepped up and did much better. But the, you know, a, a lot, especially I thought against Penn State, he just kept on looking at deep drops down the field and trying to go 20, 30 yards down the field. And yeah, you have the wide receivers to do that. But Penix didn't have the time in that Penn State game. And especially in that first half, it uh, was these long seven-minute drives. And it was crossing routes over to mid middle of failure who had, you know, he didn't have that many yards. He had 79 yards, but he had 11 catches. Uh, so he's averaging less than 10 yards per catch, but that's fine getting four or five yards and moving the ball. Uh, you mentioned Hendershot. Um, he had a couple just screens. Stevie Scott um, got in the action just out in the flank making plays. I think especially because Indiana has so many playmakers, uh, you just get them a ball on the open field, they're going to do things with it. And a stat actually I'd seen going into the Michigan week was Penix 71% of his yards coming into the day of his passing yards had been before the catch, which you don't want, you know, because you're not getting those yards after catch. And, you know, that I thought it was the, probably you look at a stat, it was not the opposite of that, but it might have been 50-50 on Saturday. Um, so I think the game plan was a lot better by Sheridan in, in, in that aspect of utilizing the playmakers, not necessarily looking for challenging plays down the field. Um, and because Michigan was blitzing and bringing pressure constantly, I mean, there was all sorts of openings for them just to get quick screen passes uh, and crossing routes to, you know, I think a really talented receiver. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, it seems like this Indiana offense is really starting to come together. We saw them a lot better on third down um, again on Saturday. So big. I think it's, it's uh, definitely like a positive sign where this Indiana offense is moving. And the third down, I mean, I think part of it was what I was saying. You know, you run the ball more and you do better on first and second down. I think Sheridan talked about this yesterday. You know, we're going to do better on third down if we do better on second down, which is kind of logical. But if you're taking deep drop, deep drops on first and second down and just throwing it down the field, you know, 50% of the time that's not going to work. And now you're at a third and 10. So, you know, just looking at those simpler plays can make a third down. But let's turn to talk about the defense as well. And obviously they've been the storyline for Indiana the first two games. And I mean, they just, they did it again against Michigan. They made Joe Milton, who came in with so much hype, look uncomfortable throughout the game. And the step that everyone was looking at, Jack, was the rushing yards. 13 rushing yards for Michigan. I mean, we, we talked about, you know, that was their offensive strength. They had four different running backs. And no one could get anything going. It was really remarkable to see how dominant Indiana was just completely shutting down Michigan's run game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and even today in, in some of the press conferences, we heard uh, DeMarcus Elliott, uh, one of the defensive tackles, he was saying he kind of took a shot at, at, at some of the media. He was like, I think some of the outlets were calling us the weakest link, you know, of the defense. I mean, we were defense. going into yeah, the season. Yeah, I, I, I said it. Um, 
that was definitely, you know, the weak part of the defense that we saw. But on Saturday, it was arguably the, the best part of the defense. Um, so I think that was really, really great to see um, for Indiana uh, just, you know, stopping the run against a team that is going to – I mean, you know, Michigan likes to run the ball. And typically, you know, the last five, ten years, um, under, especially under Harbaugh, they're, they're, they're a team that likes to run the ball. So that was uh, really impressive to see Indiana take that away from them, I thought. Um, you know, I think, I think we're at a point in the season where we kind of just expect the secondary to, you know, just ball out like they, another interception for Jalen Williams and, and Devon Matthews. I like the secondary, I don't even know what to say about it now. They've been insane. Is this secondary? I mean, could you make an argument that this secondary is the best in the big 10? And I, I know Ohio state's got a couple playmakers, but the way they've played I would, I don't know. I, I haven't watched a full game of Ohio state yet, but gosh, they're really, really good. Yeah. I think besides Ohio state, there's, I think it's Indiana. Um, you know, Ohio state's got guys that they put in the NFL every year um, out of the secondary. I mean, and then Indiana's starting to build that, you know, Taiwan Mullen's eventually going to play on Sundays. So I, I, th- I think you're right. I think it, it could be Ohio state, Indiana in terms of uh, secondaries in the big 10. And, you know, I would start making the case that Reese Taylor could play in the NFL. I mean, he had his second straight game where he just filled the stat sheet, led the team in tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and the ability for Kane Womack to draw up these these designed blitzes and getting in the backfield by the cornerbacks, by both Mullen and Taylor, it, it clearly, I mean, it just throws off offenses, and you don't see it that much in football and maybe he won't be able to keep on using it because you keep on watching film and seeing it, but it's been really effective the last two weeks. And that's been a big part, I think, of stopping the run because it's not even been sacks. I mean, sometimes it's hands It's It's a handoff. I mean, I was calling the game a handoff and I was Reese Taylor in the backfield already, you know, where'd he come from? Yeah. Well, I think Womack was talking a couple of weeks ago about how guys like Taiwan Mullen and Reese Taylor when they come off their edge, they're come off the edge. They're so low to the ground that it's really difficult to block them. And it's really difficult for running backs or quarterbacks to get out of their way because, you know, when you swipe at their feet, that's not something that that's not an easy tackle to break. Um, I do want to recognize it was, it was kind of weird looking at the box score after the game that, uh, that Joe Milton actually passed for more yards than Michael Penix. It was 344 to 342, which, you know, normally that's, that's not good for a secondary, especially with all the, the praise that we've been giving them recently. But uh, I think that that was kind of more just a product of a lot of chunk plays through the air in the second half. Um, it, it seemed like Michigan's offense never, um, you know, found kind of that consistent attack. It was more just, you know, 20 yard completion here, 30 yard completion here. And that was what was kind of generating those drives. Um, but overall, yeah, I think, that's kind of a misleading number for, for Milton, you know, when, in a game that they're trailing for most of the time, you know, they're, they can't run the ball at all. Um, so I think it was more kind of just a product of those two things. And you, I mean, part of it too, they had 34 passing attempts and they had just 18 rushes. So that's, I mean, that's complete imbalance. And I actually remember Daniel, uh, who was from the, the Michigan paper who came on last week, you know, talked about it in the Michigan state game. That was an issue. Um, of just Milton threw the threw the ball too much, and he had a lot of yards against Michigan State too. Uh, but you're not balanced, and and there were some explosive plays given up. I mean, Tom Allen, who's remarkable at finding, I think 
things to critique and get better at. I mean, that was that was one of the things he said. Uh, I think eight explosive plays. I, I'm not sure if it's 20 yards or more or what exactly he defines by that. But there were some, especially in the second half, some big plays given up. There were some holes found. I think Michigan's got a talented, um, you know, talented wide receiver core. So, so it didn't bother me too much. And I think as you're saying, they were down and trying to throw the ball. A nine explosive plays. Uh, Kim Womack said that. Um, but I do think that's something to clean up. The, the, one of the other positives, though, I found with the defense that we haven't seen both the last couple of weeks and, and in years past, and a thing that Tom Allen said he was so excited about when Devon Matthews made the game-sealing interception and he went and bear-hugged him uh, and slammed his head against Devon Matthews' helmet, leaving, leaving a little bit of a battle scar there, uh, is that they finished. I mean, on the last two drives, forcing interceptions – um, something that they're, you know, as you mentioned, they just continue to force turnovers. Uh, it was, you know, all the first two games this year, we hadn't seen the defense finish. And in the Gator Bowl, uh, they they had played so well for three four quarters and kind of collapsed. Uh, and against a physical Michigan team, that, that was seemed like something that Tom Allen was really, really pleased with. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm with you on, on that kind of aspect of finishing because I think especially in the, the Rutgers and Penn State games, you know, you saw the, the Indiana offense generate the turnovers, but it was more kind of in situations where it, it's kind of lucky, you know, setting up the offense. They get the pick at the five-yard line against Penn State, some of those plays against Rutgers. Um, but, yeah, I, to your point, they were really finishing um, against Michigan. And I think a stat that, that really indicates that is, is the third down efficiency. They're, Michigan was third and 11 on third down. That means that Indiana's defense is getting off the field, letting the offense take over. Um, that's also shown in the time possession, time of possession, uh, Indiana 38:50 to Michigan's uh, 21 minutes and 10 seconds. Um, so that that's also what finishing gives you. It gets your defense off the field and allows Michael Penix and that explosive offense to you know do what it does best. Well, it was a big win for Indiana, and no doubt one that IU fans will remember for the historical significance. But the Hoosiers, I mean, they're certainly trying to avoid, I think, a little bit of the hangover that we saw in the first half of the Rutgers game after the big Penn State victory, going to play Michigan State, a team that's certainly been uh, confusing to figure out one and two. Uh, Jack, what, what, I guess, what is your focus? What does this Indiana team need to focus on this week to make sure to take care of business in East Lansing as, as we turn to focus on next Saturday? Yeah, well, it's a team that, that has been really up and down this year, you know, with the, the win over Michigan, similar to Indiana, and then they got absolutely destroyed by Iowa this weekend. So it's kind of a tough team, like you said, to gauge just where they're at. I think uh, Indiana, it's, it, I think uh, the, the big thing against Michigan was controlling the trenches, and if you can do that against Michigan State, they're not as talented as Michigan on, on the lines. I think that, that is huge. Give Michael Penix time to, to get his throws off. You know, really look for a crisp effort from this offense because especially in the first two games, we didn't see – we saw some inconsistencies. It was one of the best games uh, for Michael Penix in his college career against Michigan. I think you should really start to expect um, more performances like that, especially against a team like Michigan State, who even though they beat Michigan, I don't think is quite uh, – I, I don't think they're going to end the season um, with people viewing them better, better than Michigan. Um, it's obviously a game that Indiana cannot be caught sleeping in because a, a loss like this week can just completely derail uh, everything that they've built this season. So, yeah, like you said, just kind of getting that focus right off, right off from the opening kick. 
you look at Michigan State season so far, one and two, and as Jack said, uh, it's been kind of confusing to figure out. Opened with a loss to Rutgers, 38-27 loss that certainly surprised people largely because of Rutgers, but Rutgers turned, or Michigan State, I should say, turned the ball over seven times in that game. Then they bounced back with a 27-24 victory against Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, and then just got blitzed against Iowa last week. It, it was funny Jack, I was in I was in the booth calling the IU game. Michigan State game was going on at the same time. We had it on the TV behind us. And every time I turned around, it was like Iowa was scoring and there was another interception. It was it was just a disaster. And I guess one thing that I just looking at some of Michigan State's stats, I noticed and could be a big storyline as we've talked about it, this Indiana defense uh, just continues to force turnover after turnover. And Michigan State, they have 10 turnovers through three games. Yeah, that could, that could be the big factor. I mean, this Indiana secondary especially has been ball hunting all season, looking for those interceptions. Rocky Lombardi had three of them against Iowa, so I think you're right uh, that that could be a huge factor Saturday. Well, we wanted to get a little bit more Michigan State insight, and we brought on an expert. Eric Bach joins us now. He is the voice of the Spartans for their student radio up there. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Well, we wanted to ask you a little bit more about the Spartans, and uh, you, you could hear what we were just saying. You know, from a, a wide perspective, we can't really figure out what's going on there with Mel Tucker. Um, I think some people thought, you know, they were going to be the Michigan State of old. I honestly personally Knew, I think, without Mark D'Antonio, there was going to be a drop-off, lost a lot of talent, uh, yet they also beat Michigan. So, um, I guess, guess what is this team? What is your perspective covering this team on who they are? Well, so, it's funny you say that you need me for some perspective on Michigan State, but I'm as close to the team as anyone, and I have no idea. Like, we, it's that's the thing. You mentioned it. Seven turnovers in week one basically a perfect performance in week two to beat your arch rival on the road and then just crap the bed basically on, on Saturday in Iowa city from the very beginning, like never got off the plane. So Mel Tucker, we were in his presser today was a very different tone that he normally takes in his pressers today. It was normally it goes about half an hour today. He almost went a full hour, about 55 minutes. And he was, kind of pounding his fist and taking a very kind of harsh tone towards his team. You know, he, he talked about a lack of consistency, which is the, the number one thing that has plagued the Spartans this entire year is no consistency on either side of the ball. And, but he says, you know, that fundamentals and technique lead to consistency and that they're not getting consistent fundamentals and technique from anyone on the team. So, I mean, no one's immune to it. Rocky Lombardi had two, 300 plus yard games and threw six touchdowns in the first two games of the season. And then threw three picks on Saturday looked uncomfortable, was careless with the ball, a few drops, but I mean, he, Michigan state has just baffled a lot of people. And you, you're looking at somebody that they've baffled because who knows what could happen Saturday. Like Indiana is clearly better than Michigan state from a talent perspective this year, but so was Michigan. So who knows who knows what could happen? I really, I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, Eric. So I, I kind of wanted to get in a little bit uh, more into kind of Mel Tucker. Um, so I guess how would you assess, you know, what he's done so far, not even terms, 
not even in terms of wins and losses, but kind of just the attitude around the program. How are fans feeling? Are they liking, you know, kind of the game plan that, that Tucker brings in? Are, are the players buying into what he's saying? Like, what do you think has been kind of his impact so far in this program? I think it's been great. Um, his, after he was hired in February, like super late in the coaching cycle, um, he created a new buzz around the team. You know, it was enhanced social media stuff, enhanced outreach with the fan base. D'Antonio, while he had years of great success, was always kind of behind in that part of it, which is kind of the modern way that college football is going, you know. And so he has modernized the program and connected with the fan base more and has built a strong rapport with the fan base in that way. Um, Mel Tucker, the win against Michigan kind of secured his place in good standing with the Spartan fan base, I think, because you know, you can do a lot of things wrong at Michigan State, but if you beat Michigan, you're going you're gonna to survive a long time in East Lansing. And it was strictly, completely 100% Mel Tucker and his coaching staff out-coaching Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan coaching staff in that win. I mean, it was schemed out perfectly. I mean, the players executed really well, but without the, the really good scheme that Tucker and, and staff came up with, Michigan State doesn't win that game in Ann Arbor. And on the flip side, Mel said today in his press conference that um, you can't out-scheme poor fundamentals, which is exactly what Michigan State had on Saturday. It was like two different. It was like two different teams. It was like night and day. And Tucker was basically saying we have to coach better, but at the same time, it doesn't matter what game plan we put forth if the players don't execute it. And I think that that message is met loud and clear. But to answer your question. I think that Mel Tucker definitely is the coach of the future for Michigan State. I mean, he's got a three-plus year rebuild ahead of him, at least, to get Michigan State back to the level that they were. I mean, Michigan State is one of two Big Ten programs that has been to the college football playoff. So, I mean, that's the, that's the height that this program can reach. And I do think that Mel Tucker is the guy to eventually get them back to that point. It's not going to be soon. But I think given his recruiting, I mean, Michigan State has had three commits, two of them four stars in the past 24 hours. So uh, the impact in recruiting is very much there. But um, he's the guy, I think, that can get Michigan State back to the college football playoff eventually in three-plus years. I guess excluding that Iowa game, you know, there's – Traditionally, the strengths at Michigan State, you think defense and you think about the lines and the big guys. Uh, I don't know if that's true this year. Obviously, it's hard to figure it out. What do you see as potentially the strengths from Michigan State that they could use to upset a team like Indiana on Saturday? Michigan State has some burners at wide receiver. I mean, Ricky White is a freshman that caught eight balls for 196 yards and a touchdown in the Michigan game, kind of just burst out of the scene. He's a true freshman from South Georgia. Um, Jalen Naylor is probably the number one wide receiver, and he's from Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. Um, he's had injury problems his entire year. He actually had his breakout game, I guess it was two years ago, at Indiana um, in 2018. But um, he's been hurt ever since then, and now he's finally healthy. So he's more of a slot guy, but they're asking him to play on the outside more. And Jaden Reed is a freshman – or is it not a freshman? He's a transfer – excuse me, from uh, Western Michigan, was all Mac and then decided to transfer to Michigan State. And he had a really good opening game, but um, a decent Michigan game too. But, I mean, nobody was an offensive factor 
on Saturday in Iowa City. But um, I do think that Michigan State, the receiving core, they have a couple of good tight ends too in Matt Dotson and Trenton Gillison. Um, if, they, if the offensive line can protect Rocky Lombardi, they have guys that can get open. And Lombardi throws the deep ball well. I mean, Michigan State's vertical passing game in the first two games at least has been better than it has been the past few years, um, the last few years of the D'Antonio tenure. Um, so I think that's – if the Spartan offensive line can protect Lombardi the way they protected him in the Michigan game, then there's a chance for the, the Spartans to get the vertical passing game going. I think that's the strength of the team is um, is the receivers and the passing game when Lombardi's on and has time to throw. Gotcha. So, Eric, when you when you look at this matchup with Indiana – you know, Indiana's coming off, a, off of one of their best offensive performances in the last uh, couple seasons in terms of at the quarterback position, and, and Michigan State just gave up a, a big day to the Iowa offense. Is there a guy on the Michigan State defense or a unit um, that you think will be very uh, important to stopping this Indiana offensive attack? Yeah, so, I mean, Michael Penix is a, is a dude's dude. I mean, he can he – can, Mel Tucker was asked about him today, and – said that he presents lots of different challenges because he can make all the throws. Um, he can make all the, he can throw on the run. He can throw from the pocket. He can throw under pressure with great accuracy and velocity. So having a quarterback that has the ability to do that presents, I mean, lots of unique challenges for defenses, but I would say um, Xavier Henderson is the starting strong safety for Michigan state. And he, this is his second year starting. He played, in all the games last year, and it's a young defensive unit. And Michigan State, with Tucker and Scotty Hazleton, the new defensive coordinator, has changed their defensive scheme. Under D'Antonio, it was a strict 4-3. And now, a lot of the time, Michigan State plays with five defensive backs. It's 4-2-5 now. Um, and they have a nickel back, and um, on about 75% of the snaps, it's five, five de defensive backs on the field, which I think that type of defense does match up decently well with the type of offense that Indiana tries to run with the spread and moving fast and moving people around, but it also creates bad math in the box. You know, when Indiana tries to run four, two, six, I mean, it's five on six, you're leaving a linebacker one-on-one -on -one with a running back, which doesn't always turn out so well as we saw on Saturday with the Spartans and the Hawkeyes. But I would say that Xavier Henderson directing traffic in the back is, is super important for Michigan State Saturday to try to decipher what Indiana and Michael Penix are trying to do. Because Michigan State has to create turnovers to win the game. I think that's the only way that Indiana would lose to Michigan State on Saturday is if they turn the ball over more than Michigan State does. I mean, Michigan State has to be at least plus one, probably plus two in the turnover battle on Saturday to have any chance. Wanted to talk a little bit more about the Michigan State offense with the running backs and sure. was surprised you know, Michigan State is dead last in the Big Ten at just 78 rushing yards per game. And you, you think of some of the great Michigan State backs of the last 20 years. Le'Veon Bell, of course, is a, a big name. And last year, Elijah Collins, I thought, was really good for Michigan State. He was third team all Big Ten. We haven't seen much of him. What's going on with this ground game? And is that something that Mel Tucker is trying to work on to improve because we saw Michigan become one dimensional in terms of passing last Saturday against IU. And that gave the Wolverines a lot. Yeah. Of so that has been Elijah. The Elijah Collins mystery is one that has puzzled everyone that's been close to the team. I mean, Elijah Collins coming into this season was the 
Big Ten's leading returning rusher. I mean, he had almost – he was 12, 12 yards short of 1,000 last year in his redshirt freshman season, and he didn't even start. Connor Hayward is, I guess, the starting running back, but he transferred after the beginning of last year, transferred out of the program with D'Antonio, was welcomed back when Tucker took over, and now he has kind of taken over, I guess, the feature back role, but he's more of a pass, pass – excuse me, a pass-catching back out of the backfield. I mean, he caught two touchdowns from Lombardi against Michigan and does better in the slot. And um, Jordan Simmons is the Spartans' leading rusher. He's a, another freshman from Georgia, another true freshman. And he's been seeing the bulk of the between-the-tackle carries. Collins got in the game quite a bit in the second half uh, at Iowa last Saturday. So last Saturday was the most we've seen Elijah Collins. But after he was basically a non-factor, in the opening loss against Rutgers, Mel Tucker was asked about that multiple times after the game. Like, is Elijah Collins hurt? Is he, because, you know, the assumption coming into the season was he was going to be the guy, like the feature back. And um, Tucker was very evasive of the question and said, you get what you earn. So there's got to be something else going on there that we don't know about with Elijah Collins. Um, there's something that has there must be some type of friction between Collins and the new coaching staff because he is the most talented running back that Michigan State has, no doubt about it. I mean, he had a great end of the season last year, too. Like, he had a great bowl game. The, the pinstripe bowl win over Wake Forest was his best performance of the entire season. So he was riding a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence, I'm sure, into 2020. And now that, that all must be shot. But, I mean, the offensive – it doesn't really matter who's running the ball when the offensive line doesn't create a push. Um, and you know, Indiana's, um, rushing defense is middle of the pack in the big 10. It's, they're not, they're not exceptional, but there's certainly no slouches, but, and, um, Michigan state has to establish some type of identity in the running game to create play action passing for Rocky Lombardi, because Rocky Lombardi is, I say it over and over again, a serviceable big 10 quarterback. He's not going to kill you, but his ceiling is very low. And, um, when he doesn't have the luxury of play action to, you know, draw the secondary in and hopefully open some things up in the vertical passing game, I don't think he has a chance. And um, that was on display on Saturday in Iowa City, that's for sure. Gotcha. So when, when you look at kind of this Michigan State team, just at their record, you know, they have the big win over Michigan, but then the two disappointing losses to Rutgers and Iowa. What do you think has been the number one thing in terms of their weaknesses that have, that have plagued them in those two losses? Well, the Rutgers loss was 100% based upon the turnovers. I mean, Michigan State turned the ball over seven times and still had a, a very viable chance to win that game in the fourth quarter and just turned it over some more. So then they kind of threw that down the tubes. Um, Indiana has played Rutgers. So you guys know that Rutgers is not that this year's version of Rutgers is not the one that we know of the past. Like when you say Rutgers football, you think of just terrible, terrible teams. And this year, Greg Schiano has, I mean, you guys know that Greg Schiano has brought in a ton of transfers and has made Rutgers competitive now. I mean, they're not going to win a whole lot of games this year, but the Rutgers team that Michigan state lost to is not the old, the old Rutgers. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's all about the turnovers. I mean, Michigan State, you guys mentioned before I even started talking that they've turned it over 10 times in three games, but all 10 have happened in the two losses. 
it was there were zero turnovers in the win over Michigan. And so when you are at a disadvantage from a talent standpoint, as Michigan State is, because the recruiting in the, the end part of the D'Antonio years was pretty lean. If you are at a talent disadvantage, you need to not beat yourself, which is what Michigan State has done in the two games. I mean, the Spartan defense was not good against Iowa, but there was a pick six, there was a punt return touchdown, and there was another turnover, another interception that Iowa didn't run all the way back, but they returned it inside the Spartan 10-yard line. So for all intents and purposes, that's three non-offensive scores for Iowa out of 49 points. So, I mean, Michigan State's not going to win that game no matter how you slice it, but it's not going to turn into 49-7, to which is what it was. So, I mean, it's the turnovers and just the lack of discipline. And there's been penalties. I mean, Michigan State is – they've had – they haven't had a ton of penalties, but the penalties that they've committed have been so untimely as far as, like, drive killers or drive extenders for the other team. So Michigan State just has to clean up the self-inflicted wounds to give – themselves any type of chance against Indiana and other strong opponents moving forward. Last question for you, Eric, and then we'll play a quick little game to wrap up the podcast. Uh, one thing that we've asked the last couple of guests that we've had on each week is just the perspective of Indiana from, from a national perspective, from an outside perspective. Um, you know, obviously being inside the program for us, it's very different than the outside. And I think a lot of you know, a lot of people are not used to being seeing Indiana at, at this a football team at this level. Some people have said, and me and Jack were talking about this earlier, that, you know, oh, maybe Penn State and Michigan aren't the teams of the years past. So maybe this Indiana team isn't necessarily for real. Uh, what's your perspective and what's the, what's the perspective of Indiana from the folks in East Lansing? Well, Michigan State, there have been games in recent memory between Michigan State and Indiana that – Indiana most definitely should have won and just, you know, kind of, kind of same old Indiana, you know, Tom Allen's 21 and 20 in three years. And it's just the, their perception, the perception going into the season is that they're, they're going to be right there, but they just don't have the ability to finish the big games. You know, they beat who they're supposed to be. They might lose a game that they're not supposed to lose, but this year it just feels different. Um, you know, you talk, Penn state has, based upon how they performed on Saturday at home against Maryland, I mean, I don't think that in that Indiana Penn state game result was a fluke. I mean, the game itself, I mean, Penn state outgains Indiana almost two to one. And, you know, if they don't, if they fall down instead of score, that result might be different, but um, Indiana has, has, has really impressed me. And Saturday's game is what did it for me is what, changed my mind about whether or not Indiana was for real. I mean, I knew that they were, they were better based on their performance against Rutgers and it was kind of a sleepy game. You know, you go to Piscataway and you're not exactly fired up to play Rutgers, but Indiana took care of business and you know, they, they didn't turn the ball over like Michigan state did against Rutgers and they, they did what they had to do. And that's what you got to do on the road in college football. But um, they really, I watched because, you know, I wasn't working I had a COVID exposure last week, so I didn't get to work the Michigan State-Iowa game, which in hindsight was not that bad of a deal. I've since tested negative, so I'll be back. I'll be back this Saturday. But um, 
so I was just sitting, sitting on my couch watching the Michigan State Iowa game. And um, obviously, once that started going really bad, I flipped over to Michigan, Indiana and watched a good portion of that game. And um, Indiana just looked two steps ahead of Michigan the entire time. I mean, Joe Milton was throwing, was throwing it to Indiana. And I mean, they were disguising coverages. Michael Penix is a stud. I mean, we already established that. But the outside, at least my outside perspective of Indiana is that they've taken that next step of not just being competitive, but finishing and winning games that they, that they should win. You know, I mean, in the past, they've had the competitiveness, but never been able to finish. And I think that this is the year, I don't know if they're going to be able to beat Ohio State, but this is the year that Indiana kind of ascend and ascends themselves ahead of the middle of the pack of the Big Ten. And I think that Tom Allen's a really, really good coach. And Mel Tucker was very complimentary of him today in his press conference, um, saying that he really respects Tom Allen and how not just Tom Allen himself, but how he runs that program. And I agree. I mean, I think that Indiana is just kind of a blue-collar, hard-working type of program, and that seems to be paying off. You mentioned the Michigan State-Indiana game that lately have been close. I yeah. mean, last year, Indiana outplayed Michigan State thoroughly in that totally. second half. Ended up losing 40-31, to 31, um, but a couple penalties, a couple overthrows by Michael Penix. IU should have won that game probably, and it's been interesting because the Indiana media has talked a lot about that this week and asked Penix about, you know, kind of was his coming out party. He had 21 straight completions, was an Indiana program record, um, and really outplayed a top 25 team in his first career road start. So they, they haven't said it's a motivating factor, but you have to think that could be something that Indiana is thinking about as they head to East Lansing this week. Let's wrap up our podcast as we always do with a little game of buy or sell. Eric, the rules are pretty simple. I will say a statement about this week's game and you can choose to either buy it and agree with the statement or you can sell it. Uh, my other co-host who's not here says you, you have to disagree with your co-anchor. I don't like that rule, so you don't have to do that since I'm making the rules this time. Uh, so we'll get started and uh, Jack can go first on this one. Uh, Michael Penix had a big game. Last Saturday, career high 342 yards. This game, again, he has a big game and he throws for over 100 or, or over 300 yards. I yeah, I'll buy that. I think uh, Indiana really found their groove offensively against Michigan. I think Penix goes over 300 again. I'll buy it too. Um, I think that if Michigan State is going to win this game, they're going to have to outscore Indiana. I don't think that if Michigan State finds himself in a rock fight, they're going to they're going to be in trouble. And um, so I'll, I'll buy Penix over 300. All right. Next one, we've talked about a uh, Michigan state rushing attack, really struggling this year. Indiana had its best performance. God, in our life, in, in me and Jack's lifetime of Indiana, of Indiana football on the defensive line, completely shutting down Michigan. Uh, the Michigan state rushing attack on Saturday will get less than 75 yards. Eric, go ahead first. I'm going to sell that Michigan state's, defensive line dominated Michigan's offensive line as well. Um, I think that maybe Elijah Collins gets a little bit more involved this week based upon his playing time last week. I'm going to say Michigan State gets more than 75 rushing yards. Yeah, I actually think I'm going to sell that too. Um, although the Indiana rush defense was uh, really, really strong against Michigan, um, 
kind of as a defense as a, as a whole, their biggest weakness has been giving up kind of those chunk plays. So I think maybe you see one or two 20-plus yard runs. I think they go just over 75. I might have to re- reassess my ruler. I'm doing something wrong here because you guys are agreeing with each other, which is it's just – it's not supposed to happen naturally. But anyways, on to the next one. Uh, we've talked about turnovers on the Michigan State side. Uh, Indiana's defense uh, has forced a lot of turnovers as well. Uh, three in the first two games, two against Michigan. Uh, the statement here, Indiana's defense forces at least two turnovers on Saturday. Jack, go ahead. I'm buying that. Um, I think this secondary is really hungry for the ball. They're creating turnovers flying around. Um, I think they get three or four on Saturday. I'm going to sell it based upon what Mel, based upon Mel Tucker's facial expressions today in the pre, in the Zoom press conference. I think that he's going to put the fear of God into the Michigan State offense, just like he did after the seven turnover performance in week one and the next week against Michigan, they had zero turnovers. So I'll put the turnover number for Michigan State at one. So I'm, I'm going to sell it. All right. Penultimate one here. Will it be a high scoring game? The over under is 52 and a half. I'm taking the over. Do you guys buy that? Eric, you have concerns. Definitely the over. If Michigan State's not careful, Indiana might surpass 52 on their own. So um, definitely, if I were a betting man, would bet the over in this game. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think over 52 and a half. All right. We don't endorse betting, so don't don't attack <laughs> us if, if we're wrong. All right, last one here. Uh, we've broken down the whole game. You know, it, it, this is a trophy game, which you forget. Indiana has was just one in nine last decade against Michigan State. Jack, does Indiana take back the old brass platoon? Or my, I guess my statement is Indiana does take back the, the old brass platoon. Do you buy that or sell it? Yeah, I'm buying it. I'm I've, The number I've kind of been around is 38-17, something like that. I think Indiana, I think their offense is starting to click. The defense is playing with a ton of confidence. Uh, Michigan State shaky after the performance against Iowa last week. I'm going with the Hoosiers. To keep staying in the betting mood, is the, what's the spread? Is it around nine that I see? I think um, it, had, it had fallen a little bit. It's it right around that seven much. and a half right now. Seven and a half right now. So I would pick – I'm going to buy that Indiana takes back the old brass platoon, but I think that this is going to be a football game till late. I think Indiana will, will cover seven and a half if that's the number that we're using. But I think that it, they cover on a late kind of pull away score. I think Michigan state keeps this thing competitive into the fourth quarter, but yeah, I think Indiana is going to win the football game. So Eric and Jack, both in agreement, Indiana trying to take back the old brass platoon for the first time under Michigan state. Indiana looks to peel back another page from the history books as they have so far for the first three games of the season. That will do it for Hoosier Network Indiana football podcast this week. We will be back next week, maybe previewing two undefeated at the top of the Big East, Ohio State and Indiana. That could be quite a game, quite a week. But until then, stay tuned to the Hoosier Network all week. We'll continue to have coverage. Griffin Gonzalez is actually going to be in East Lansing. So who knows what he's going to do there. But stay tuned to coverage on our Twitter page, Instagram page, website, and all that. Until then, for Eric Bach and Jank Ankeny, I'm Griffin Epstein. We'll talk to you real soon.